church in Ephesus, uh, a church in Turkey once again. And, and we've kind of now gone through the first stage of Ephesians. And in this first stage of Ephesians, we have learned that we're adopted by the Heavenly Father. From before the foundation of the world, we have been seated in heavenly places in Jesus Christ for God's glory. We're a part of an amazing new family, the body of Christ. God is building us into a, a beautiful temple for His glory, filled with people who are Jew and Gentile, white and black, Asian and Hispanic, rich and poor. We're all being built into the glory of God together. The walls between us have been obliterated and torn away. And by grace through faith, we have found salvation and a new family in God. And in light of all these things and learning how to sit in Christ Jesus, we now get to our response or our part. As we look at navigating, Paul was trying to help the Ephesian church, again, a, a multi-ethnic church who had Jew and Gentile, who had Turkish folks there and probably Greek folks there and maybe even some Roman folks there, people from all different cultures and communities. He was trying to help them be the body of Christ. And so in chapter 4, he gets practical. When they say, listen, it's hard enough to do this if we're just a Jewish church or just a, a Turkish church or just a Greek church. How are we supposed to be a multi-ethnic church? So Paul comes in and gives us a recipe for doing church in a multi-ethnic way, in a diverse way. And so as we pick up in the fourth chapter, this is the good news he shares. He says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received, to be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. For there is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. This is the word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Come, Heavenly Father, help me glorify you. Come, Lord Jesus, and shape us by your loving Holy Spirit. For without your love, we cannot walk worthy of our calling. And Lord, that's what we want to make sure we do today and every day so that we are a faithful part of your family, the body of Christ. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So as Paul begins this new chapter, the big question that he, he comes to very quickly is, Brothers and sisters, will you walk worthy of your calling? Will you walk worthy of your calling? He says this in the context, remember that I'm trying to walk worthy of the calling, and because of that calling, I'm in chains. I'm in jail 
and imprisoned for trying to share the good news of Jesus, not just with Jewish people, but with everybody. And because I am committed to sharing the gospel of Jesus with everybody, I come to you here in jail. And so therefore, because you are seated in Christ Jesus in heavenly places, because the walls between us have been torn down, because God is doing something new to build a multi-ethnic community of the kingdom that represents heaven on earth, because God is doing all these things, I need you to step up and step out and to walk worthy of this gracious calling. People of God, you can do this. You can walk worthy of the calling in which you are called. Now, as he says this, I'm thinking, okay, Paul, what are you going to tell us to do? What's the first step in walking worthy of the calling in which we're called? And a lot of us, I think I would think, well, Paul would say, well, the first step is to leave that evil world behind. Let it go. Become someone new. Do something different. Don't let the evil of the world shape your life don't be like that. That's what I would expect. But does he start there? No. Or he might say, listen, you need to learn your scripture well. You need to dig deep and have a, a, the healthiest theology that you can have, the most orthodox and the best and the brightest. If you just get your mind right and your knowledge right and your thinking right, well, then you're going to be walking worthy of the calling. Does he say that? Again, a second time, no. When Paul calls us to walk worthy of the calling, he begins in a surprising place. He begins with us as a community. And he says, listen, if you're to walk worthy of your calling, then it starts right here in your church community as the body of Christ. This is where it begins. In finding a way to walk together without the walls, without the divisiveness, without the anger, without the fighting. This is the way we are to walk forward. And if you want to walk worthy of the calling of God in Christ Jesus, this is how it is done. It starts, Paul writes, by being completely humble and gentle. By being completely humble and gentle. And brothers and sisters, uh, Paul has connected humility and gentleness with an and. And so I think what Paul is saying is we cannot separate these two. If you think you're humble, but you're not acting gently and kindly toward others, well, then you're probably not being quite humble enough. And if you think you're being kind, but really you're not being humble, then you're missing it out too. It takes both pieces Paul writes, that comes out of who we are as a family. So what does this mean? Let's look at humility a little deeper. In the Greek, this word for humility is, is it's a compound word. So Paul is, is really making an emphasis, not just humility, but it's humility plus, right? The first word there is tapenos, and tapenos meant to be humble, to be lowly, to, to, to see yourself kind of as on the bottom rung of life, okay? 
But then the second part of the compound word is phreneo. And phreneo is a, is a Greek word meaning with our mind. So lowly of mind is some translations. I think even a little better is to orient our whole being, our whole nature toward a position of lowliness. To orient all of who we are toward a position of lowliness. And then you add to that kindness and gentleness together and you have a powerful combination you see brothers and sisters um, if we're to live together this is how it is to be and must be Uh, to kind of dig into this more I think what Paul is talking about in these early verses are the characteristics to what a mature Christian faith looks like. If you want to know what a mature Jesus follower looks like, it is someone who has learned to anchor their life in a disposition of humility and kindness. Great leaders in the church will stay grounded in those components. I look to Mother Teresa today. I'm going to share just a few quotes from her. I've been reading her devotion all year. And every once in a while, she just hits some home runs. Y'all know Mother Teresa, right? Served in the slums of India, took care of the dying. They would bring the dying in. They would bring them under their care. They would make sure that these poor people were loved, were fed, were nourished, so that they knew that in the depth of poverty in India, that they were not worthless. And this is what she says. She was asked by someone Mother Teresa, what are you going to do when you're not around anymore? This is her response. I'm often asked after, after Mother Teresa, who? He, she says, that'll be no trouble. God will find a more humble person, a more obedient to him, a more faithful, someone smaller with a deep faith. And he will do still greater things through her. So let the missionaries of charity, that's their ministry, and the co-workers in every country, wherever they are, meet God with a smile everywhere they go in every one. So here when Mother Teresa talked about who would take her place, she doesn't talk about spiritual giants who know the Bible backwards and forwards and people who look like this or do that. She says no. God will find someone with great humility and obedience and faith. And she'll be the kind of person that'll remind us that it's about gentleness and kindness, keeping smiles on our faces before a watching world that lets them know we care. You see, Mother Teresa had read Paul in Jesus and knows that spiritual maturity more than anything else, is about having a humble and gentle disposition. So today, to kind of help clarify what what I think that looks like a little better, I want to give you five ways that we see this lived out, or I see this lived out in mature followers of Jesus, all right? The first way we do this is for those of us who learn to listen well. Those of us who learn to listen well. One of our struggles is a divided and divisive country. 
is that we have forgotten how to listen to each other's stories. We've forgotten how to listen to someone who comes from a different experience than us, a different background than us, a different opinion than us. We've forgotten how to listen for for love from them or truth from them or life from them or wisdom from them because instead we say, I have it all figured out. I already know everything I need to know. I don't need to learn anything else. I don't need to grow anymore. And so as a culture, we have forgotten how to listen well. But humble people who have dispositions of loneliness, one of the things they learn is they must listen well. They must realize that they don't know it all yet. And that's where we start. Imagine having a conversation with somebody who takes a very different stance uh, toward an issue than you do. Are you able to sit down with them and hear their story and hear their heart and listen well? Then the second thing that helps us in this is not just to listen well, but the second is is to, again, orient ourselves humbly means to, to take a, a lower orientation of ourselves and that means when we meet others around us we value them higher than we value ourselves or at least we value them as much as jesus said love your neighbor as you love yourself right and so an example of that might be you know here in our community there are a lot of folks who struggle they're homeless they struggle to find food they They struggle to care for their families, and oftentimes in the church, we see them come through our door needing help from our food pantry or or needing help with their rent or electricity or some way. And, And while they're here, you know, I can't fix everything for them. And I do have to kind of discern how can we help them without sort of enabling them in some maybe not good ways. But at the same time, when they come through our door, I want them to know that they are as valuable as a human being as anybody here in this place today. That we care for them, that we empathize with their struggle, that we'll help them where we think we might can help them uh, find healing or hope. And though we may not be able to solve all their problems, we want them to feel valued as a human being. And that comes from a spirit of humility that knows when I meet someone else, whoever they are, no matter the color of their skin, no matter the language that they speak at home, no matter who they are, that they are the precious face and heart and life of Jesus for us. And we are to see Jesus in every human being around us and around our world. So that's number two. Then number three, the third thing that helps us be humble and gentle, I think, is coming from a place of respect. A place of respect for others who are different than us, who talk different than us, who maybe have different values than us, usually in small ways, not often in big ways, usually it's in small ways. But to have respect that I can believe what I believe and they can believe what they believe And that doesn't mean I'm going to try to beat them up or slam them or be angry with them. But it's just to acknowledge we're in different places. And part of that, brothers and sisters, is a good thing. Part of that is a healthy thing. Because Paul himself talks about 
how in 1 Corinthians and in the body of Christ that diversity is not just a kind of good thing, it's an essential thing. Because if we're all noses, then we're not going to be able to see. And if we're all eyes of the body, we're not going to be able to hear. And if we're all voices talking out loud, you know, then we're not going to have hands and thumbs to do the work. And so part of the the brilliance of diversity in our world and diversity in the church, brothers and sisters, is that we need each other. When Jesus came on the scene, you know, most of what he did is he presented the kingdom and he didn't say, now you need to do this or else. Instead, it was an invitation. Instead, he used persuasion and he allowed people to choose. Mother Teresa gets this as well. I want to read a second quote from her about her own faith. This is what she says that I think shows a reflection of her desire for respect for others. Because remember, she lived in a largely Hindu and Muslim culture. She says this, I love my people very much, more than myself, and so naturally I wish to give them the joy of possessing the treasure that is my religion but it's not mine to give, nor can I force it on anyone. So also no man, no law, no government has the right to prevent or force me or anyone if I choose to embrace the religion that gives me peace, joy, and love. Again, Mother Teresa shows the law of respect, that there are certain things we cannot force on one another but we can still learn and love one another then number four number four is this um, if I'm at a place of humility I begin to understand that I do not know everything I don't have it 100% right but I know that I'm still learning I know that I'm still growing I know that I need more information and more experience and more wisdom and more grace. You see, I, I remember being with seminary professors, for instance, and, you know, I'd have a really brilliant seminary professor, and you know what he'd tell me? He'd say, class, if we've got about 80% right, we're doing, like, really, really, really good. Because probably of all that I'm telling you, if I've got 80% right, then you're going to be headed in God's direction. What is that professor doing? He's saying, listen, I know a lot, but I still know there's 20% that I probably have totally messed up, and I'm still trying to figure it out. And if a seminary professor who's a Ph.D. tells us that, then how can we do no less for one another? You see, when we think we've got 100% right, we're often in trouble. Who thought they had 100% right in Jesus' day? The Sadducees and the Pharisees. The lawyers and the attorneys who knew the Old Testament backwards and forwards, up and down. Jesus was hardest on them. Jesus attacked them the most. Why? Because they were stubborn-headed. And they were unflexible. And they were not willing to acknowledge they didn't know it all. And we must be willing to. 
And then the fifth one, the fifth component is this, that we're slow to anger. And so we minimize attacking others, especially in the family, but also our enemies. We're slow to anger, and so we minimize attacking others with our words, especially in the family, but also our enemies. Jesus said in Matthew, you want to be perfect like my heavenly Father is perfect? Then you can't just love your friends. You've got to love your enemies too. So if you're not there yet, well, you need to keep on keeping on. And so with these five things, we get a clear picture of what it looks like to be a mature follower of Jesus. And we haven't even gotten to the rest of them. Let's, let's run through the rest. Not just humility and gentleness. But then he goes on and says, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Paul reminds us that for us to to make it through together, we've got to love one another. And loving one another is not a sprint. Loving one another is a marathon. Whether it's in a marriage, whether it's in a family, or whether it's in church, in the body of Christ. It's a marathon. It's not easy. There come times where we need to be patient, where we need to be, maybe the more literal word might be, long-suffering. There are going to be times where we want to give up on each other. Well, we're going to say the D word. I want a divorce. But Paul says that is not to be the Christian nature, that we are to do our best to fight for our relationships with each other as a Christian family and in our own families as much as we can. And so he tells us here that we've got to keep on keeping on. We've got to persevere. We've got to put up with each other we've got to learn how when i step on your toes with a sermon you've got to say well chris really stepped on my toes today i don't know if i can totally agree with him or not but i will bear with him in love right and so the lord calls us to do that for each other when we blow it when we've had a bad week when we talk out of turn when we blast our neighbor or friend when we shouldn't have we've got to bear with one another in love i, I think about this uh, one time, this mom went in on Sunday morning and she was trying to get her son ready to go to church, right? And so she came in and said, son, it's time to go to church. Let's go. And he said, oh, I don't want to go today. I just want to stay in bed. It's, it's so cozy in here. I'm not getting out of bed. And mom said, no, no, no son, we got to go to church. Let's head to church today. And he says, but I got to get up too early. He said, but son, we've got to go to church today. We're not missing church today. And he said, but, but all the people there, I don't really have any friends there and they seem to uh, not be friendly at all and they're not kind at all and I just I'm tired I don't want to be with them anymore and finally the mom said but son you're the preacher and you got to lead the church and they're expecting a sermon whether they like you or not or you like them or not and that story reminds us there are some times where relationships are hard and marriages are hard and life is hard but Paul calls us to be patient to bear with one another in love to not be quick to run for an out 
Then the third thing Paul tells us, he says, make every effort, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. I want us to look a little closer at that first word, make every effort, or the first three words. In Greek, it's a combination of two verbs. One verb is to make haste, and really, really in the sense of, brothers and sisters, continue to be diligent. That's what it's happened. Continue to be diligent in guarding the unity of the Spirit. Continue to be diligent in guarding the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And so what Paul is saying is, brothers and sisters, it's up to us to fight for the family. It's up to us to fight to stay together. It's up to us to fight for each other. Whether we agree on things or whether we don't agree on things, we fight for the family. That's what Paul's saying continue to hold and fight for the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, to keep the main thing the main thing. As he goes on, he says, there is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all, and in all. And Paul reminds us to keep the main things the main things. And what he lists here are tier one faith things. Tier one, top level, most important, most essential, most, most the things that are supposed to bind us together in one body. The things that are supposed to bind us together in one spirit. The things that are to bind us together in one hope of the kingdom of God, of encountering uh, the kingdom in all its fullness forever and ever, of having one Lord Jesus Christ who is our Savior, who died for us on the cross, who rose from the grave, and who conquered death to be Lord of all. One faith, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, faith in the Father, faith in the Holy Spirit, trusting that that faith binds us together. And one baptism, now, I know with the details of baptism, uh, you know, between us and Baptists and others, we, we can get divisive over this. But Paul isn't talking about that. When he talks about one baptism, what he means is, is it doesn't matter whether you've been sprinkled or dunked. It doesn't matter whether you've experienced baptism as a baby or as an adult or as a teenager or somewhere in between. None of that really matters. All that matters is that that baptism in Jesus is what binds us together. It invites us into the family. It tells us we are a family. And now as a family, we live under one baptism together because there is one God and Father of all. Father of all people. No matter their religion, no matter their race, no matter who they are on the planet, whether Muslim folks know it or not, there is a father for them too. Whether Hindu folks know it or not, there is a father of all for them too. Whether Buddhist folks know it or not, there is a father of all for them too. Whether we're white or black, whether we're Latino or Asian, whether, you know, no matter who we are, where we come from, 
God is Father over all of us and through all of us and in all of us. And this is what binds us together, these tier one core deal things. This is the main thing. This is the main thing. And so what Paul shares with us today is this is who we are to be. This is how we're to walk. This is what being church of Jesus looks like. Not only that, this is what, this is what spiritual maturity looks like. You want to know what it means to be a, a high-level follower of Jesus. John Wesley, our founder, used to say, we can be made perfect in this life. You know what that perfection looks like, Wesley said? It's perfection in love. Perfection in love is what we're to be. And we can attain it in this life. And what Wesley meant is that we can come to a place in our lives where we can love God the Father, love Jesus with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We can, we can come to a place where He becomes really first in our lives, and we really are trying our best as frail, weak human beings to love God the Father. And that we know that a huge dimension of that is loving our neighbor as much as we love ourselves. And not just loving our neighbor as much as ourselves, but loving our enemy as much as ourselves. Wow, that's tough. But if you want to be made perfect in this life, that's who we are to become. And to do that, Paul gives us this recipe of humility and gentleness, of patience and bearing and long-suffering, even when things don't go our way. Even when the worship service is too contemporary for us, or the worship service is too traditional for us, or the worship service becomes, I don't know, uh, too multicultural or I, I could come up with all sorts of stuff right that we still this is our family and we stick with the family I, 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 I know it's time to close we'll close with one more Mother Teresa story she had a party for children in Calcutta it's kind of a church celebration and she tells this at a children's party at the Tali Gunj Club in Calcutta we were celebrating the silver jubilee of our con congregation. The children were patting the luscious, thick, green grass of the beautiful lawns with their hands. And they asked me what made the blades grow so strong. They had never seen such grass. I saw many children who did not eat more than one sweet out of the packet that was given to them in which they had cakes and buns and sweets and fruits. And so I asked them why. You know what their answer was? They said they had brothers and sisters at home, and they would share the sweets with them. They had brothers and sisters at home, and they would share the sweets with them. I want you to, I want you to see this. These kids who had never in their lives seen green grass. They'd never seen green grass in their life. They were stunned that grass could be like that. Yet they knew one thing. They knew that family is first. And it's not about me. 
It's about family first. And they only had one suite because they knew they had to go home and share the love with the ones God had given them. And if these poor children in India can figure that out, why can't we in the United States of America? So think on that. As we move forward, y'all know uh, we've got big decisions before us. And my commitment is I want to see us navigate those decisions as a family first. And that means it's not all about me, and it's not all about you, and it's not all about what I want, and it's not all about what you want. But it's about figuring a way for us to move forward together, not leaving the one behind. Because that's what good shepherds do. They fight for the family first. And so as we navigate this in the days ahead, one of the things we'll be doing is anytime we get together to talk about divisive issues, I'm going to be reading these first six verses and say, people of God, remember who we are. Remember how we're to love one another. Because if we get this right, the Lord will see us through. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, I come before you today. I think most of us would say, Lord, we're not there. We're not always humble and gentle. Sometimes we go on the attack out of turn. Maybe we've had a tough week or a bad week, or maybe we're just not in a good place. So like Will Smith, uh, we smack somebody when we shouldn't either with our words or however but Lord you call us to a new way and a better way you call us to put family first you call us to love one another you call us to live a humble and gentle life in the midst of a diverse community who sometimes it's hard to figure out how to stay together But Lord, you will see us through. So help us grow to look more like you, Jesus. Because I know you look like what Paul has talked about. And we want to look more like you as well. And for this to be a part of our church, a healthy church for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. As we close with our hymns today,